How can we better equip ourselves to take on the new day, our goals, and the world? How do we stoke our inspiration? By dropping in, we'll hear from credible experts on ways to thrive in this environment. As persons trying to cope, as workers learning to pivot in our careers, and as those curious about life, wellness, family, healing, and humor, we'll learn by sharing stories. Like the watering hole, dropping in is a communal place. People who've had the courage to tell their stories offer the nuggets they've gathered along the way. They bring us the spark to confront what matters. Everybody everywhere is on a hero's journey of trying to survive and do well. Stories from these diverse sources pave the way, even if the paths are new or unknown. Drop in with us to discover the roots and where we go from here. And now, here's our host, Diane Dewey. Good morning and welcome to Dropping In, everyone. Tis the season and yet behind closed doors of COVID-19, scenes unfold without the protection of schools and teachers laying eyes on students for the telltale signs of domestic violence. What does it mean to be in a home when home is not a safe place? Taking on this subject in a new novel is this morning's guest, Lisa Braver Moss, author of Shrug, published by She Writes Press. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much, Diane. I'm delighted to be here. Well, you wrote a, an incredibly uh, touching, tender, and gripping book. Um, I uh, just want to dive right in with you. And let's talk about belonging and how the inner marking of a person who is experiencing domestic violence makes them feel as though they're scarred, that they never belong, really. There's always the sense of being a visitor, of not being at home anywhere in the world. And then in this case, the protagonist, Martha, who's a young girl when we start out, she goes through her teenage years in the book, her high school years, um, her home then does shift. Uh, It's metaphoric. Can you talk to us about the symbolism of home and what it means? Oh, I think that's such a powerful question, Diane, and and I want to thank you for your kind compliments about about the book. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really that's really important. Um, when home is not a safe place, uh, it's 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 very disorienting. And yet, if it's a way of life, I think people do get used to it. Children do get used to it. Children are very adaptable, and um, yeah, I'm 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 not sure specifically what your what your the symbolism of home is what you're. Well, I was also, yeah, I know, I think you, you have actually covered it. I mean, it becomes part of the armature. Um, It becomes a part of you and you take it with you in the world. Uh, For one thing, in a comparative sense, we rarely know what's going on in other people's homes. So it may even take a while before we realize, like, this isn't normal. It's not just me who finds it unacceptable. It's unacceptable in the world and that there's a society or a civilization, hopefully, that would support you if only you had access to it. Um, but then stigma is such a, a big element, right? There's, an, there's, yeah. a stig- there's a stigmatization, a humiliation, a shame in knowing that this exactly. is going on in your home. And exactly. you know somehow it's not supposed to be that way, right? And so what's that dissonance, that discord about? 
I think it's it's interesting that that you say it that way. It, 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 there's there's a sense that things aren't normal, right? In a, in a in a home, it's a child growing up in a home with domestic violence. There's of course this this deep conviction that this isn't normal, and yet it coexists with. Uh, oh well, this is what I have. This is what I live with. This is my family, and um, there's a certain way in which Martha, the main character in Shrug, just she goes through the motions because the motions are kind of all she has to go through. She 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 still wants to get her work in on time at school, and she's she's preoccupied with um, with grades, and she's she's very focused on. Um, acting as if things are normal and achieving as if things are normal. So I think it's, it's, it's important to understand that, that these two senses of one's situation, I think, can coexist and, um, and, that, and that, that's, that is very dissonant in and, in and of itself. That is very dissonant. But, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, it's almost like a split. But, you know, I think, too, that Martha, she's such a an enticing and level-headed character. We really do root for her because she's trying so hard. She's trying to still win the affections of her mother, um, who experiences a lot of, you know, cruelty, negligence. Um, and, of course, the father is part of this dynamic. Unfortunately, her parents are both abusive um, and she is undermined at every turn, even for her desire to do well in school. Um, and I, I think this kind of tragedy is, you know, it's something that we've experienced even through, um, you know, the, the wonderful memoir, Educated, for example. And I, I think this kind of sense of undermining the person, that has to be a part of the dynamic when you're the parent, right? To keep that sense of reality unseated in your child so that they do think this is normal, that they throw a frying pan at your head because you've said something right. untowards. Um, you have right. to keep up this right. illusion. Yeah. Um, I, I wondered about this sense of stigma too. I mean, who does Martha have to talk to really? She's got her friend Stephanie um, who's a compassionate figure. And I wondered if you felt that there has to be one person um, at least who's your champion out in the world in order for you to really survive this kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, <laughs> the strange thing about this, this uh, story is that the father who's the batterer or the, the main batterer. Um, well, I don't even know if that's true. It's, it's hard for me to be objective about this, but the intent was um that he's sort of the identified batterer. The mother is also violent and and very uh, psychologically very violent. Um, but that the father turns out to be the parent of choice. That the father turns out to to have a little bit of redeeming uh, some redeeming qualities, enabling him to function as a parent in a way that the mother can't or wouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that's. That's what I what I'm thinking about that. Um, you know that, just, that there, there yeah. does need to be some champion, and she has Martha has teachers that are you know that are glad that she's in their class and so on because she's right. like she's an achiever. But I think I, I think of it more uh, rather than one has to have a champion out in the world. There is such a thing as as a weed growing on a rock, 
and mm-hmm. it's it's getting only rainwater and groundwater, and it's, it's it manages to flourish, and mm-hmm. it's not getting any attention directly, any human attention, and yet it it continues to grow out of this sort of nothing environment, and I think that's it too. That's the human sort of the, this human life force. Mm-hmm. I. I love that metaphor, and I think you were completely eloquent um, in that response because it it is such a force, and it is such a spirit, um, an indomitable, it seems, spirit. And also, it it's also true that the the mind, right, when it's surviving um, battering, the the mind shifts. None of this makes sense, and trauma is that thing that cannot be processed. So, the mind. Sp- shifts over to the more intuitive side, the right brain side where emotion resides. And here is Martha with this intuitive gift of music, which she learns by ear and she's enormously gifted at it. Um, And I think it it holds her also like a thread um, because there's some continuity right in her life. Um, There's some predictability um, in her life through understanding music and musical composition and knowing that those notes will sound a certain way is almost reassuring to her. Um, She's she's one of three siblings. Um, And, you know, lest you think that this book uh, is, is, is just a sort of a big downer, I can tell you it's one of the most enjoyable um, enhancing reads. Uh, I've read in a long time because there is, sorry, humor to be found. There's the laughter that turns into tears and it, it, there really is both sides of the coin. You've written this in the first person and yet it's a novel. I wondered if you did that as a writer, Lisa, um, in order to give it immediacy, authenticity, what was your strategy? What was your thinking about that? Yes, exactly. Well, of course, strategy is is a strange thing for an author. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of cases in which um, one has to just try it and see if it works. And you're you're kind of you know when you're at your wit's end with writing a book, you're throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. So I'm not sure. I mean, I didn't start out thinking um, it's this is a novel. I, I thought I thought well maybe it's a novel, maybe it's a memoir, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Um, and I didn't really uh, I didn't really know for a while, but I experimented a lot. And I think your word immediacy is exactly it. I, I wanted the book to have a certain immediacy to it, and I wanted this girl to uh, Martha to talk in a way that was um, that, that that was authentic and. That was that was very intentional, but yes, I ultimately the, the teenage voice, um, which is what what made me realize it was uh, a novel and not a memoir. Once I tried the teenage voice and kind of scoped that out, and it became clear that that was that was working, everything else kind of fell into place. So I'm not sure how you know about about intentionality because. You know, you can start out with a fine idea, and it turns out not to work on paper. But um, well, it ter- yeah, but, it ter- yeah. yeah, it turns out that the characters themselves have intention, and they take over your intentions. Yeah. Or right, it yeah, sounds so as though you found Martha. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. It sounds as though you. It sounds as though you found Martha early on in the process yes, of I, writing. I I did I did, and um and that was a um 
that was a wonderful thing for me because I, I this book is autobiographical and um, it was it was really in in a way I know this is going to sound strange in a book that with domestic violence as a, as an important component, but I actually really enjoyed the teenage voice and I enjoyed all of the you know creating all of the all of the apparatus around that the the, mm-hmm. the expressions and the the environment of Berkeley at that time, and I'm sure we'll talk about these things later. But, um, yeah. but yeah, that, that's 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 right. Immediacy is is what I was going for. Well, my favorite phrases from being a teenager, you know, spazzing out, they were all in the book. I yeah. was like, oh, this is so great, revisiting the stupid <laughs> the things that we used to say, you know, oh, don't have a spaz. I mean, it's great. Right. And here's, um, here's Martha talking <laughs> about um, talking about intelligence. Um, quote, here's the real question. Why doesn't anyone ever talk about how humiliating it is to learn since you're constantly finding out how dumb you were before? <laughs> so, like, to me, this is just brilliant. You know, I, I, I love Aww. Martha. Um, and Aww, she's, of course, you. she's right. I mean, and this is, this is also part of her, you know, she is brilliant. She's got an incredibly questioning mind. She's curious about everything. She breaks everything down and rearranges it, kind of like you do in music. And she's really, she's, um, of course, not rewarded for that. Um, I came across a, an expression this morning, um, called social proof. She has no social proof of anything, really, of her intelligence because her her parents don't reinforce it. Um, she's she's undermined at every turn in terms of her will. She needs order in order to have emotional stability and they ridicule her for it. Um, I mean the list is long of the of the abuses. And I, I think it was uh, special that you just mentioned um, the, the father being the designated batterer, um, like the designated batter. Oh my gosh. It's in, and yet the neglect, the ridicule, the shaming, the bullying, all of that, it's really a, a, an elixir, like a compound that you do say to yourself, how is this girl going to make it? Um, and she does. Um, and I, I actually want to turn to something you alluded to as well with the father who does undergo a metamorphosis. He does change. Um, and since you're speaking about the subject of domestic violence from an authentic point of view as a survivor yourself, I wondered, is it true that a person who is a batterer can come away, can come out of that and be transformed into a person who is calmer with the ministrations of he gets into a different relationship. Um, he's able to be soothed by his other daughter, Hildy. Is this, is it part of a dynamic that brings about battering? I mean, I guess it's, it's a sort of the simple question is why do people hit? Can they learn not to hit? I guess that's what yeah, I'm asking. I, I am. Um... That's such an interesting question. This is such a probing interview. I'm I'm really enjoying your 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 questions. I'm finding them very deep and challenging. Um, I'm glad. I yeah. I um my sense of that character is that he really is under medicated, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so is the mother. So is mm-hmm. the mother. Um, but. I think, and so I think when he begins to rediscover um, marijuana, when he begins to discover marijuana and its its properties, 
he does calm down considerably, and it is chemical. I think a lot of this, in, in my own father's case, and he was a batterer, um, he, he really had no memory of any of these events. There's, there's the, the batterer, the type of batterer who apologizes afterwards with a dozen red roses and I'll never do this again and how is your, you know, how is your bruise? Oh, my God, let me get you some ice for your bruise. Um, but there's also the type of batterer who just um, falls into a rage, acts out, and then doesn't really remember afterwards just remembers mm-hmm. that he was pissed off and now he's no longer pissed off. And um, this character is more the latter, obviously. Um, he's not an apologizer. But I think it's also that he rises to the occasion. I think it's really two things. I think it's the, the, the pot, the cannabis definitely helps him calm down and helps him be a lot less reactive. Mm-hmm. And then also he has to rise to the occasion because the kids have no one else. He has to, when, when the mother deserts them, mm-hmm. um, he, he kind of has to, and the lawyer tells him what to do and he kind of listens. Mm-hmm. And so that is a transformative experience that the father goes through. Yes. Well, it, it's a, it's a, a dynamic where it's hopeful at least. And it, it feels very, um, it feels real. So I was, I was hopeful that, you know, that this is something that, you know, can be experienced. And certainly for Martha, it was really a gift that her mother left the scene completely um, and then, you know, caused all of them to have to re, completely regroup. And including the father, Jules Goldenthong, he is quite a character. The remarkable thing is that there's like a real life setting where, you know, he's in this music store. He's like the hippest guy on the block. Everybody regards him (laughs) as like kind of a guru, right? Because he's got all this esoteric music and people go go to him to buy records. You know, it's a wonder he didn't get into pot before this. But anyway... You know, it's it's really it, and it's so helpful. But I mean, he he has obviously an alter ego, and it it's also that configuration of you know what's reality because you you know in one sense he's kind of a hip, he's popular, he's kind of a hip cool guy. I mean, you know the 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 real you know the hipsters go and see him, and like he's in with the in crowd. So it's really difficult to judge and to find the ground. But um, we're going to take a quick commercial break, as you say, Lisa. The Braver Moss, you, we dive in at the deep end here, and I, I find that it's just easier to learn to swim that way. You've written a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful book called Shrug by She Writes, published by She Writes Press, and I do hope people will get their hands on it to have a really endearing, heartwarming story and also a very enlightening one. When we come back, we'll speak more with Lisa about these turns of events, how things are possible in this world. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. 
You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Lisa Braver-Moss. She's the author of a novel called Shrug. Um, It's really a heartening but also disturbing tale and one that's worth thinking about, particularly in times like these during the pandemic when little is known about what goes on inside the closed doors of people's homes and um, extending compassion to children who seem just a little bit off or who might be a bit of an outcast is really really a, a called for, a takeaway, a call to duty that comes from reading this book. Lisa has written other books. She is the author of um, the novel Measure of His Grief, uh, Not in Press in 2010, and the award-winning Shrug, um, many awards, we'll get to that. Her essays have appeared in the Huffington Post, Tikkum, Parents, Lilith, and many other publications. One of the things that I was fascinated by, Lisa, is your nonfiction book credits include Celebrating Family, Our Lifelong Bonds with Parents and Siblings, Wildcat Canyon Press in 1999, and you were the co-author of The Mother's Companion, a Comforting Guide to the Early Years of Motherhood, Council Oak Books in 2001, and then Celebrating Brit Shalom in 2015, The Naming of a Boy um, Without Circumcision, a very, a very interesting um, concept to me as well. But I, I want to look at this whole picture of how you write about the comforting years, the comforting guides, the role of the mother bond, um, the companionship of parents, how does that square? Um, and, and, and how, yeah, how does that square? How does that work in the mind's eye? Is it, is it a, a big hole that has two faces? Because here in Shrug, we've really gone into domestic violence. How does that work for you? The whole, the two yeah. sides of the coin. Yes, you mean the the whole the whole opus, so to speak. <laughs> yes, the whole opus, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting. I think it gets it gets to this question of um, disparate experiences kind of coexisting, um, mm-hmm. and and the fact that you can you can come from a very very difficult background and still forge relationships as adults that are, that are really very powerful and very meaningful and, um, and that those are worth celebrating, that those, that those um, moments of contact, human contact are, are, are worth celebrating and being grateful for. Um, uh, as far as the ceremonies book, the book celebrating Brit Shalom, that's a, that's a project um, that, that I've been working on for a long time too. And um it, it has to do with Jewish parents feeling um, feeling that they have some agency about making the circumcision decision um, mm-hmm. rather than feeling pressured into it, and um, 
And so I, that's, that's one of my pet projects, too. Um, I don't know how to sort of tie this all together, except that, um, except that what interests me, and, and the, book, the book Celebrating Family, that was my first book in 1999, and that project just kind of fell in my lap. And it's a, it's a gift book, um, and was one where I, it, it deals with conflict in families and how it's positively resolved or how it's possible to positively resolve some of those conflicts. Mm-hmm. And, but it, it's, this, this, the book is told through anecdotes. Um, so I, I don't know quite how to pull it all together. Um, well, <laughs> except that, I, yeah, I, I, I think you said the word paradox. I think you've, you've, you've examined some paradoxes. You've become intrigued by paradoxical situations. And I love yeah. that you bring out the idea the, of the redeeming feature. You, 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 you're lost if you, if you can't find the beauty, the humor, the grace in even the most right. odd, you know, and awkward um, and devastating experiences. So I think right. right now, I mean, we're, um, you know, we're, we're in a time of Thanksgiving and I think that's just a, an incredibly humbling and wonderful thought um, and, and paradox. You really can't break it down any more than that. It's just two coexisting different spheres. Um, and, and that's yeah. very, that's very cool. Um, I also thought that, you know, believability uh, because you're not afraid of paradox, the believability of this book, Shrug, it, it's it's very um, it's very pronounced. Because the father, it's like six degrees of separation. The father, Jules, in his in his music store, or um, even Deccan, the the super hipster, goes in in Martha's class um, or in Martha's school. If he would only go to school, he's so <laughs> hip he, he can't be bothered going to school. But anyway, he goes to the record <laughs> store. Um, but you know, Jules. Okay, he's got you know this esoteric music knowledge, and I mean, it's so he's such a um, such a snob. He's got such black and white ideas. And and then there's Martha, and Martha's sanctuary is music. The word, the title, shrug, comes from her involuntary tick, which she develops out of her, obviously, her, ner- her nervous absorption of this situation, the domestic violence at home. And the only time that she doesn't have her shrug is when she's singing or when she's involved with music. It's just something so incredibly lovely about that. And of course it's true. I mean, stutterers don't stutter when they sing. And, you know, there's a lot of just forgetting all about yourself that happens in music. But, you know, the point was back to Jules and Martha both have this in common and yet they can't talk about it. They can't talk about it because then that would be, they they can't, he would then have to recognize who she is and she can't, he can't do that because he's the better and he has to maintain this power dynamic, um, you know, which once again is just so incredibly unsettling to a young adolescent girl, but she, she finds her way. And that is the beauty of this, this story. It has one, the 2020 IPPY be uh, award gold winner in young adult fiction. It is the 2020 IBPA Benjamin Franklin Award silver winner for fiction, and it is the 2019 Moonbeam Award gold winner, uh, gold medal winner in YA fiction, historical, 
And the list goes on. You've been recognized as a finalist in a number of very prestigious um, awards and the 14th annual NIEA winner of Regional Fiction West. Are you at all surprised by the success of this, by the resonance of this book, Lisa? Well, I'm I'm thrilled. I I don't know if I'm surprised because I tried not to have any preconceived notions about that. But mm-hmm. um, but I no, I'm I'm really just deeply thrilled. And um, and it's it's because it is autobiographical. It's there's a there's a wonderful feeling of having it off my desk, and it's almost as if um, it's almost as if the audience is now kind of holding this content for me. Um, I I don't know exactly how to, I I feel held, I feel somehow held Mm -hmm. and the book feels held and, um, and in other words, off my desk and no longer something that's obsessing me, um, Mm -hmm. other than, you know, I've this or that contest or these are that this many sales or whatever, sure. But, um, but as far as the content goes, there's just something so wonderful about having this. Um, completed and, and, and out there for me. There's so I'm really support- thrilled. Yeah. Yes. Congratulations. I mean, there's a supportive oh, environment out there. Yeah. It's, there's support. You, yeah. It is being held and it's being shared. And in some ways, even though you're a healthy human being, it, it almost eliminates the last shred of stigma um, that you've that you've shared this and, and you acknowledge it as being autobiographical. You dedicate the book to survivors of domestic violence. And I think you've done in, you've done an enormous service really by telling a very believable tale um, by not being preachy and by finding the voice of um, Martha as, as a, as an adolescent with her friend, Stephanie and the crush on Stephanie's brother. And, you know, all the thing, all the you know, the dark room with the fish tank, and all the things that you know that <laughs> that happen, and and all the awkwardness of having to wear a skirt that you have to rooch down, and 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 not you know mini skirts, your denim mini skirts riding up, and it's all there. I thought the one thing that really um, brought it all home to me were the senses of smell, um, the senses of sound. Um, I, I wondered actually if you were musical yourself, um, or do, how does this knowledge, this musical knowledge, come to you? Yeah, I am. I mean, some things I had to I had to look up, but um, I I am very passionately uh, musical. I'm more. Um, I don't know how this is going to sound exactly, but I would say I'm more talented than I am accomplished. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, achievement in my household growing up was was uh, so fraught. It was as as uh, you might guess from the book. It was so fraught. I I really never thought of myself as being able to, you know, kind of really get good at something like this. And, um, but no, I have I have my. Uh, I have my music is very, very important to me. I'm very passionate about it. And I, I have my opinions and um, they're very strong opinions. And this I definitely get from my father. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I have well, my very obscure favorites and, and, uh, and uh, favorite recordings and all of that stuff. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. That's but it has family. to be. Right. It, it's a family trade. 
an inheritance. I mean, yes, it has to be by Sir George Salty because that other recording, you know, was just absolutely in in the weeds. And, you know, really, it's it's really, it's very, um, I kind of, I did kind of muse to myself whether this very black and white, almost borderline um, thing with with jewels. I mean, yeah, Martha's passionate, but she's a lot more connective. She's she's relating in her violin lessons. She's relating jazz to classical. She's relating. She's pulling disparate threads. She can listen to pop. She can listen even to a, you know a little a little bit of rock. Not all the Beatles, um, but not, not the whole um, you know. Canto. It's it's really it's that's also very interesting. Her selectivity, but it's not draconian. Her father is draconian in his judgments, and yeah. as a result, yeah. he's not able to really um, hold jobs and 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 manage himself very well until. Yeah, until the, the, the metamorphosis starts to happen um, and the necessity right. that, that comes from the invention that comes from necessity. But I do think that I love that you did have a musical background because I was going to be disappointed if you didn't. I was really hoping this was, this was a real thing. <laughs> and, and also, I think it gives you such a good ear for dialogue. The, the cadence Aww. is all, you know, it's all there. It's the rhythm, not one beat too many. It's really, I just, I really, I really have to hand it to you. It's such a pleasure to read Aww. this book. I wondered if you were oh, always Diane. a writer. Um, yeah, were you always a writer? Well, I I, uh, I did write as a child. I was not a diary keeper, but I, I enjoyed writing. And um, I just, as with other um, achievements and, and aspirations in my household, this was not something that was really noticed or or um, or, or nurtured. Um, but I think I've always really enjoyed it and. Um, and then when I was, I mean, I was already well into my thirties before I began to really write seriously. I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't think of myself as a writer with a capital W at all. I I was Mm -hmm. a technical writer in the computer industry when I got done with college and, um, really didn't, didn't aspire. I didn't even think of it. And then I found I had things I wanted to talk about and I was, and, and this is where, I am interested in in doing in in achieving and accomplishing. Where um, in music, it's it's more um, it's more an avocation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you have so. things to say, and um, I, I, that's a different. Um, that's a different motivation, I think, than wanting to achieve or be good. Like something that you have to say is almost like you're pregnant with it until it comes out. You know, you you were maybe pregnant with this story gestating for decades. And I think, you know, that, okay, so then that leads me to ask you, I'm hopeful for the response. Do do you think you're going to have other things to say? Are there going to be more novels? Um, are you going to continue on this vein or, or what's, what, what do you see? I mean, you, you, you have a kind of, I would say an inside out approach. Other writers write from the outside in. They think, Oh, what would be a good story for our time? It's all directed from the other. And that tends to be somewhat from the outside. That tends to be a little formulaic. Um, no matter how good it is, you're running, you're writing from the inside out. You, some, a message is coming like, and you have to be the messenger. Um, yeah, do you think uh, that's going to continue? Uh, what's your feeling well, that's there? A, that's, 
Yeah, it, it, you're you're asking such probing and wonderful questions. As I as I said before, um, I do think I have another novel in me. Maybe uh, maybe one. I'm not quite ready for it yet, but um, I I think I have more things to say, and I have things to say about you know how one recovers from from this kind of um, shame and isolation that many kids living with growing up with domestic violence tend to feel and the self-blame and the, you know, how do you, how do you really get over that? And so that kind of interests me as a topic. Um, and I have, a, I have a few other interesting um, ideas too, but um, right now I'm taking a little break um, and writing some essays and, um, and I have another big project that I'm working on having to do with, um, with uh, uh, what I was talking about before, which is to say to make a to make space in the Jewish community for families that don't want to circumcise, and that's that's something I'm very interested in too. So, well, I love the word agency that you used because people, you know, when faced with traditions and time honored and time worn traditions, you know, don't feel like they have a choice, don't feel like they have agency. Right. Um, they'll have to give up their loyalty to their faith, and that's just so drastic, you know. Yeah. Isn't it possible yeah. to have agency and still, I mean, clearly the overriding thing or the deeper component there is your faith. So I think that's also a very enlightening, um, enlightening idea. And it also, you know, it has to do with being becoming formed as a person and never too late <laughs> to get formed, right? I mean, you, right. it's a constant process and you know there's Martha she she eventually goes off to college not to give too many spoiler alerts but she's destined to go to college she desperately wants to go of course Jules being the creep that he can be doesn't want to fill out the financial assistance form so she might not get in I mean the family is impoverished I, I you know there's this obvious dichotomy because the, the family's impoverished emotionally and then financially sometimes, but there's still money to buy antiques because the mother also has a, you know, kind of split personality. So she's got to cope with that. But I mean, like a place like college, for example, is going to give Martha resonance. She's going to hear back. She's going to hear feedback on her yeah. intelligence, on her native goodness. Um, and that, that does give us hope. We have to pause for another commercial break here. But when we come back, we're going to take another look at some of the other, like sort of micro fibers, micro um, disciplines that are involved in, in the world of domestic violence and how people do emerge whole from it and how we mustn't be afraid to look at it, to talk about it and to share the stories of it. We're here with Lisa Braver-Moss. Don't go away, but we'll be right back on Dropping In. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. 
To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here on Dropping In with Lisa Braver Moss, author of the novel Shrug, which by the author's own admission, is autobiographical. We didn't speculate about that. Lisa is a survivor of domestic violence. And when we talked a little bit earlier, Lisa, I I couldn't, um, I have to go back to this. I'm sort of stuck on it in my mind that you mentioned um, in your own experience, your father as, as a batterer. Um, so, so hard to say those words side by side. But yeah. um, but that's the reality of it, and and part of this is is confronting reality. Um, you mentioned that he basically had no memory of his episodes of of battering. That it's almost like he did split. His consciousness did split. Um, it, it, it is that how that experience is then for a child must also then be that much more confusing. It, it is confusing. Although I I can say. Um, if my experience had been that, you know, the dozen long-stemmed red roses and I'm so sorry, oh, I'm sorry, kids, I lost my temper. Um, if it were that, that would also be very confusing, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think domestic violence is, is very confusing. Um, and, you know, there, there are people, uh, this, this character, Jules, is not an alcoholic, but he, um, as I said, he, he sort of, uh, under medicated, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, he needs more. I think, yeah, he needs he needs something. The, the parents both need something, but um, he is able to split off, as you exactly said. Yeah, he's able to split off, and he's he's able to also go off in at a moment's notice. There's sort of no warning, and then suddenly he falls into a rage and flies into a rage and starts battering. Um, so I think, I think in either case, if, if there were an acknowledgement of it later, I think it would, it would, um, it would be healing, but it would still be confusing as a kid to live with that. I think, mm-hmm. um, because then, you know, you, you have a dozen roses and they're, you know, they start to get wilted and it, it, it you know, they die off and then it happens again, you know? Mm-hmm. So that would be really, really confusing. Um, but yeah, he had, um, my father had the ability to, to just kind of split off and, and act like it didn't happen. And I have no idea what went on inside his head about that. I think the richness, um, you know, in terms of, yeah, we will never know, you know, this is, this is a, a really a point of speculation. There's so little we do know about, you know, one another psychically, or that we'll even have the capacity to know. But I mean, it it also is that um, for a child, you know, we, I think we're, 
maybe somehow more familiar with um, domestic violence um, against women. I'm certainly aware of, you know, shelters in our community where, you know, battered women that we support and, and somehow children still lack that voice, um, the voice that you've given to Martha. And, and to me, it seems like you've started to correct an imbalance there with this book. Um, I, I feel also as though, you know, yes, a, a woman, a wife may be, of course, she's getting the dozen roses that it starts to stink. Um, the water starts to stink. I and mean, there's a lot of smells in this book that really bring things home, um, the decrepitude. Um, but, you know, a child is looking at home as um, a, a rock, a place to come to ground, a place to to grow, uh, like you said in the beginning, you know, the rock from which the weed may sprout, but, you know, often may not. Um, and it's, it's such a more substantive um, experience for a child who's trying to form themselves. Um, and not to compare trauma, I'm not trying to diminish what women go through at all. I mean, that's a huge challenge to one's identity um, and survival and thrival and everything. But I, I do think you've started to hit on something very fundamental um, by telling Martha's story um, with this book and the story of her siblings, because they all cope in different ways. Her brother, Brett, um, is a, he, he's a counter. He's, they're both they're both interested in math, um, but he also goes into the world of um, superheroes and um, the sister uh, becomes more of, a, I think, a caregiver, um, Hildy, uh, and thank goodness there is Hildy and that there is the door between the two, be- the, 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 the opening in the closet between Hildy and Martha's bedroom, um, <laughs> like for their, for their mutual survival. Um, but, you know, the thing I thought that was very interesting about Martha and the thing that actually resonated with me personally is the role of anxiety that anxiety and looking at the countless ways in which everything can become a catastrophe and that you can really induce a panic attack in yourself and the importance of finding some shelter and some way out for yourself um, which she kind of does, right? She, she's moving towards the light. And do you think that that's part of our survival instincts um, as a person, as a, you know, who's experienced it and as an author as well? It's not just a dramatic device, right? It's, it's a belief in our survival skills. Yeah, I think it's, it's intuitive to try to survive no matter what species you are. And and, and whatever survival might mean, I, I think you're right. Home is supposed to be a place of, of a place exactly what you just said, of where one can grow, where one can grow, you know, and and thrive. And if it's not that, it's it's. Um, it, it, I think often um, people seek it out. Children seek it out in other ways, and some of those are are more on the self destructive end, and some of them are more maybe achievement oriented. But um, yeah, I think I think that's the human impulse is to is to seek it out somewhere else. And you, I think, are notably um, not bitter. Um, and I think that you know my, that's also somehow part of the acceptance of your reality. Um, you know, you can't rail against it and use up all your energy. Energy is finite, and you can't use up all your energy being angry. 
Um, so I think it's so much more positive to to allow yourself to channel it in the way that you're doing in, in terms of your writing. Um, I, I wondered about the the boundaries and how there is a blurring of boundaries, right? Martha feels responsible for everyone in her family. She's the middle child and she feels completely responsible for her mother still being unable to get out of bed. She feels responsible and obligated to keep in touch with her mother, regardless of the fact that her mother abandoned them. Um, And when does the boundary slide into place? Those are interesting questions, right? I mean, as an author, I yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what you mean exactly by the boundaries sliding into place. I'm, like, not, I'm, I'm not following I, exactly. Well, she got her feelings hurt because, right, she wrote to her mom and no response or else there'd be just right. like these abbreviated conversations on the phone where her mother again would say, you're so ridiculous for, you know, what, what, of course I'm fine. What do you mean just after months of being out of your lives? You know, like, why wouldn't I be fine? Um, because she's never been fine. And Martha wants to call, you know, I mean, she's so human. She's so, there's so much right, humanity right. in her. And she, she, right. somehow, she doesn't want to. Yeah. Go ahead. She, sorry. No, go ahead. She, she doesn't. There's a scene where she, she the best friend offers, Stephanie offers, you know, you could come and live with us. And, and, and Martha is thinking to herself, I don't want to live with my best friend. I want my mother, you know, and it's just that that's the paradox that we were talking about earlier. Just, you know, you, you're just. I think in, in that situation, in the domestic violence situation, you're just clinging to whatever parent can, can sort of comfort in, in any way at all. Not that the mother really can in this book, but it's an illusion. I think a, a lot of it is, is, you know, it's like it reminds me of a, a one-year-old who, you know, that, that power of um, sort of it's a pyramid of little, little colored donuts. It's sort of plastic donuts, and they're all mm-hmm. they're they're all in this tower. And I know a kid who who took his first steps while holding on to these donuts, one in each hand, these plastic donuts, thinking that he was hanging on to something. You know, mm-hmm. but the illusion was enough to get him to actually take his first steps. They're not, you know, they were just plastic rings. They weren't they weren't holding on to anything except he was holding on to them and that was enough to give him the self confidence he needed. And I think a lot of a lot of it um for Martha is like that, where she's she thinks she's being held up by her mother held up meaning meaning uh mothered in a in a nominal sense. Which probably wasn't even true in a nominal sense. But Martha thinks that her mother is there for her and clings to her mother because because of this illusion that her mother is really is, is supporting her. She's largely unmothered, as you say, and right. she develops a right. kind of a, a, an inner mother of her own. I mean, eventually she does leave off with trying to make contact with her mother. I mean, the wound is kind of where her boundary becomes, you know, like that hurt too much. Um, right. But she right. she somehow starts to be a mother herself. I mean, does that, that, that totally just rings true. Well, it also rings true to me what you just said about 
creating um, illus- illusionary uh, supports for ourselves. You know, I'm being held up. Right. There, there can't right. be nothing. There just can't be nothing. Um, right. And and that that's just such a, I mean, I think that's the human, oh, I didn't want to say that's the human condition because other, she's always getting lectured that by that, by jewels <laughs> on that, you know, say human condition. But it is, it's a kind of an existential thing. Maybe there's nothing, yeah. you know, but we still have to take the steps. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's also why this is really, I would say, an inspiring story um, and one that I think is very worthwhile reading, not to become depressed, but to become stronger in, internally. It's really, um, I think it's very, it's very helpful. Martha starts out being very stoic and heroic and saying, you know, I can sit on half a seat um, because she had to share it so often, a seat with her sister. But then later she starts to not minding um, being in the world, making a mark, being present. Um, right. You know, she gets her hair cut. She, she starts taking steps. Um, she starts taking right. like adolescent steps. And I think, right. I mean, do you remember those kinds of things yourself? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and um, yeah, just how, how important those small things are, getting a haircut, um, getting, getting something new to wear for a new class, getting notebooks for, for college, um, all of those kinds of things, the, the trappings. And yet, you know, the trappings are meaningful. It, they're, they're very meaningful for Martha, um, these little milestones. And you're exactly right. I think her survival and her recovery is based on those, those little markers along the way. One of the most um, devastating things to that little Jenga tower that we're building for ourselves is when this idea of karma, do we choose our own parents to learn lessons in life? Could you, we have just a couple minutes to our close. Could you comment on that theory of, because it can do a number on your head, right? Yeah, it can do a number on your head. I think it's a, it's a fancy way of blaming the victim, Um yeah. In, in most cases, I think, you know, you can, you can kind of um, enjoy the mental exercise of thinking what it would mean if you chose your own parents karmically. Um, and I find it an interesting exercise. You know, well, my mother, my mother was put as my mother because I needed to learn X. And, you know, same with my father. I needed to learn Y. And you can do that, but I, I think that in the context that that comes up in the book, it's very much, uh, it, you know, Martha just sort of twists that around into another way to blame herself for her, for her uh, situation. Right. So, no, I, I think it's a, it's a fancy way of blaming the victim. Which we definitely need to offload. Well, you know, Martha has this, she shrugs, and it's, there are times when she has to feign indifference to survive, and the shrug actually comes in handy. But, I mean, there's so many metaphors for the title of the book itself, and um, I think that it also disabuses us of the idea that we can only offer sympathy when, in fact, what we could well do is offer a listening ear and acknowledgement 
to children and people who have experienced this kind of abuse. Thank you very much, Lisa Braver Moss. We've come to the end of our time. You can find Lisa on Facebook, Lisa Braver Moss author, and on Twitter, Lisa Braver Moss. Thank you very much to our engineer, Ryan Justice, and to our producer, Robert Giolino. Have a good week, everyone. Stay safe and be respectful of the outcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then. 